to the lost souls, the disintegrated spirits, the wanderers, the dreamers, and the seekers. Welcome to the Embodied Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. Our work in this podcast will be to foster healing, transformation, self-expression, creativity, and the development of consciousness. So with our intentions grounded firmly, let's settle in and do some integration work. Hey friends, in today's podcast, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to offer a recording of one of my workshop series calls. Currently, I am doing a workshop series called the Mother Archetype Workshop Series, in which I am exploring the book, The Mother, Archetypal Image and Fairy Tales by Sybil Burkhauser Ori with a group of women and we meet every other week and talk about this content. And I felt like the first call that we had into this workshop series was a really informational, digestible call into what is the mother archetype? What are we working here when we're talking about images, archetypes, fairy tales, and I figured that the conversational, dialogical aspect of this workshop series would be really cool to share with the podcast listeners to get a glimpse into what this workshop series is all about and what we're exploring, and just to inform people and educate people on archetypal principles, archetypal ideas, and these images that I feel get so perverted in modern culture where we're using and exploiting archetypes to make money and to convince people of their healing journey moving a particular way. And so to to deep dive into this content and have a dialogue about it, um, you can hear people in the workshop series ask questions. It really just creates a a really rich dialogue around this material and I wanted to share that with you guys. This workshop series is currently halfway through so we're about six or seven calls into this particular workshop series but I'll be launching one probably in the summer will be the next one because I'm getting married in May so there's a lot going on in spring so the next one I'll do is probably in summertime and so if you're interested in that make sure that you head to the show notes and join my free community because I always put announcements on my free community and updates. Um, The workshop series are pay what you want. They're donation-based. It's just a space where I like to share. I like to share this space with a lot of like-minded individuals who like to kind of pull on threads just like I do. So it's a blessing to be in conversation with these ladies in particular. So I hope that you enjoy this unique podcast episode. And if you have any questions about the content, feel free to reach out and ask them. I would be more than happy to answer. And with that, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Mother Archetype Workshop Series. Really what this material is about and the reason why I started um, workshop series was so that I could create a space where we could learn how to engage with this like depth symbolic material in a like a very gentle easy way and you can learn to engage symbolically this one in particular is about engaging with different images and different fairy tales and I think that that's just really really important because so often we get so caught in personalistic psychology and we get like almost spinning in cycles around our problems. And I feel like this symbolic depth lens is a really good habitual pattern breaker to get you in in training your symbolic self to see different patterns, to relate to patterns in different ways. And especially with this particular archetypal image, the mother, This is something that affects any person, any human across the board. Like this is one of the most foundational archetypal images and one of the most important. And so hopefully as we go throughout this book, I can 
create some clarity around the mother image and how to um, work with the personal mother, how that balances with the archetypal mother, what's the difference, how do we work in both of those realms, and also how to learn how to read fairy tales symbolically, because that will also help you with tending your dreams too, I think, because they both spring out of similar places in the psyche. <laughs> so if anybody has a pressing question about the mother archetype, now that we've started the call, you can definitely interrupt me and raise your hand and I will click on you and we will, we will unpack and explore, but really, I, so I invited you guys to just read the, the introduction in the first chapter, which is really just um, trying to describe the mother archetype and this, this particular lens. And so I wanted to cover that first so that we could, um, we could just have a foundation before we dive into the next, like the terrible mother and the jealous mother and all these different shades of the mother. So first and foremost, the notes that I have here. So it's really important to recognize the difference between like most modern psychologies and Jungian psychology and depth psychology is, is the fact that, so Freud is one of the founders of depth psychology and Freud basically said that all unconscious content is just repression. So it's basically our person, our personal experiences of the world and the things that are intolerable to our ego just get pushed down and they're like repressed into the unconscious. And so Jung came along and was buddy buddy with Freud for a little bit, but at some point he was like, nah, I don't think that that's actually fully true. Jung started to realize that there might be this collective layer of the unconscious where this my mysterious content arises out of this layer that isn't so personal. So there's these deeper patterns and symbolic myths and stories and themes that come out of the psyche that interact with our personal unconscious and then come into consciousness. So that's really the difference between like a Freudian, which is most modern psychology, even though they call themselves that, this like personalistic psychology and looking at the unconscious as just like, that's just shit that I repress down. Um, and this like Jungian depth lens that says, actually there are patterns that have run throughout humanity here. And one of the most prominent patterns is the pattern of the mother, the mother as the creator, the mother as the destroyer, the mother in the form of death and rebirth motifs. So the mother is one of those like fundamental patterns arising out of the collective unconscious. So Jung said that fairy tales emerge out of this collective layer. So if you were to ask most depth psychologists, they would say that like fairy tales aren't created by the personal psyche. They come to people and they're written, they, they emerge out of this layer of collective unconscious. So it's not like the person's like, oh, I'm going to write a fairy tale about blah, blah, blah. It emerges out and it's actually addressing specific patterns that are going throughout humanity at that time and have been going throughout humanity for ages. So they use symbolic language. It's not like this like anecdotal story where it's like, oh, I went to the grocery store and then I picked up this and then I did this. They're using symbolic language. And so we have to learn to learn the language of symbols to engage with this deeper layer of the psyche. Often when we're in the personalistic layer of the psyche, it's like we have a person, our literal mother, we have a literal event, we have a literal father, we have a literal boyfriend, but then there's this deeper layer where it's very symbolic and it's like a little bit less clear, a little bit harder to pin down. Sarah, what, what, what's your, what's your like, eh, I don't know, like, yeah. 
kind of. Oh, it's the same as always, honestly. Like, I, like, feel like I just, like, understand, and then I read something, and then I'm just, like, what the hell is going on? And mm-hmm. so, uh, I don't know, I think that's just, like, my, I'm very, like, I always think, like, critically and analyze, overanalyze things a lot. It, like, well, maybe not overanalyze, but I'm an analytical, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm like, well, why would we just like talk in myths and symbols when we could just write? So like, that's kind of, and that's even kind of how I was, when I was thinking, when I was reading it. So yes, I have questions, but I don't know what they are. Perfect. So that brings up a really great point. And this is something to just be mindful of is that Sarah, you might not have like in your personality type, like like intuition might be a little bit lower down down the spectrum for you. You might be like a thinker, right? And so you're looking for gaps and analyzing and like seeing, trying to solve the problem, right? And for me, I'm like a dominant intuitive and I'm like images, images, images. <laughs> um, and so it, it might hit a little bit differently for me. But then when I get into an analytical place, I'm like, but why would we analyze that? Right. Um, so just to recognize that like one isn't better than the other, but we all need different levels of of our personality type to feel whole. And so I think that, you know, culturally, it's really important that we can analyze and have strategy and think linearly. And if we were always thinking in symbols, we would probably be very undeveloped culturally right we would be like not not as developed as we are so we need some of that analytical structure but just recognizing that's not the only way in which to see reality that there's a reality underneath the reality that we see linearly and that's a big thing about fairy tales is they speak in image and symbols and they're timeless and like why would we speak in images and symbols and like have this timeless aspect? Well, if we come across an experience of our own suffering and nothing has spoken to that before, we feel completely isolated and alienated in our experience. And that's what these like myths and stories and patterns can do is make you realize that you're held within a deeper substratum of reality if that makes sense like you're not the only one to experience suffering at the hands of the mother in this way like this is a common pattern and a motif so it helps you feel not so isolated in your own personal bubble and so I found that when we can find a myth or a story or an image that really speaks to us it helps contain some of our experience. You know, we, we don't get so stuck in our like cycling around it just being us and we're the only one that ever experienced that. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah? Okay, great. So I think it's really important that we talk about the difference between the personal mother and the archetypal mother. Yeah, it's really important. <laughs> um, So the archetypal mother, basically what we do is we come into this world with it's almost like this, this open space. It's like this, we have all these different categories of like father and mother and hero and all these different categories of experience, but the, they're, they're basically patterns of the archetype, but then we have to experience reality to actually engage with that that archetypal pattern. And so we experience the mother first through a personal experience with our mother. That does not mean that our personal mother is the pattern itself because the pattern itself is unknowable. It's just revealing itself through stories and myths, but we can get different shades of that archetypal experience through different experiences with, let's say, our mother. The archetypal mother is unknowable. 
the archetypal image of the mother, we can find that in these stories. We can find that in, you know, in this like moon motif, that's like mother image, like the image of Sophia, um, different goddesses. You can see these different images play out, but ultimately Jung said that the archetype itself is unknowable and we can only gain access through these images and stories. And oftentimes, I, I like to describe archetypal energy as like, think of the archetypal energy coming from these, this like unknown layer of the psyche. And it's like 100,000 volts of energy. It's like big divine energy. It's like big energy. And our personal energy levels are like maybe 25. And so when we get around this archetypal energy, there's like a, we call it a numinosity. It's like a feeling of being around big energy. And when we are little, that is what our parents are to us as children. Our parents carry this big energy, like they are the gods in our lives. And it's really important at some point in our lives, we reconcile that like our parents are not gods. And if you can think back to an experience in your life where that has happened, it feels like a kind of falling down because it's like, you're not living with that like big voltage energy anymore. You're like in the human realm. And also we start to see like this imperfection of our actual mother or actual parent or an actual person so the difference between the archetypal realm and the human realm is there's something like divine and superhuman about that realm no matter how awesome or how awful or how perfect your mother was it's not the archetypal mother and we can look at we can look at our experiences of mothering in our lives and see if they're not, if those individuals were not being influenced by different shades of the archetype. So if you had an experience with your personal mother that was like indifferent, like kind of withdrawing, that would be that terrible mother energy kind of unconsciously working through that person. That person is like a vessel for all this unconscious energy. And that's why it's really important to just be aware of these patterns is because we're all influenced by patterns. And so we want to be conscious of those patterns that we are influenced by. So something that she said in the book was that the archetypal mother doesn't reflect literal reality, but psychic reality. And so our literal mothers reflect literal reality, but these, these divine energies, like that 100,000 volts, that's a psychic energy. It's not a literal human energy. And we want to talk about the different sides of that energy. And that's kind of what this book goes through is talking about, you know, the different faces of the mother. It's never just, we would love for it to be the good mother that would be lovely. And we see that in a lot of Disney movies. <laughs> well, actually, no, a lot of Disney movies have a lot of images of terrible mothers. So um, I would say modern Disney movies are a little bit more good mother-esque. Um, so we want to see the different sides because there's a lot of energy here. She's a lot of things, this like archetypal mother. So I listed out some things that she had put in the book. Basically, this is something that I'm really interested in, and probably I'll write my dissertation about at some point. The mother is basically this like darkness in which all things spring out of. So she is like the birth of consciousness itself. So if we look at the mother as unconsciousness, everything springs out of the mother. She is the, the creator and the birth vessel of consciousness. In that darkness, that darkness can be creative or destructive, right? It can create new consciousness, but it, all, it can also pull you down into complete nothingness void. 
and that be incredibly destructive. And I think that maybe we've all had some type of experiences in our life where we've hit like a quote unquote dark time and it's been a catalyst for immense creation of wider consciousness. And we've also hit a dark time and felt the stagnation and pool of like depression and not moving and just sinking into nothingness. Those are different sides of exposure to the mother archetype. But mother as darkness, I think is is really important. And she talks a lot about the way that we see darkness depends, you know, a lot of our personal experiences with our mother. If our personal mother was unable to hold an adequate vessel in container for us to be in like hard times, we might experience the mother as like the terrible mother. Mother as the creator of consciousness, mother as the body and the mystery of matter. So our container that we call the body in the human realm is this kind of like psychic scaffolding or vessel in the in the psychic realm. So a lot of times when people have poor relationships to their body, speaking from experience, my experience has been, I can't get in right relationship to this vessel. And I've experienced the mother energy as like not being a vessel, just being complete void. Like there's no scaffolding, no containment. That's an experience of the terrible mother as well. The container of the soul as mother. Something else that she she put in there is the wisdom in the spirit that transcends reason. There you go, Sarah. That's a good one for you, right? <laughs> um, that paradoxical reality that transcends reason. So usually the masculine principle is the principle of logos, the principle of creating order out of chaos. That's the logos principle. The chaos typically is the mother. <laughs> um, if you experience that chaos as creative, that's the positive <laughs> mother. If you experience it as destructive, that can be the terrible mother. So we can see how there's definitely like a polarity here of like different ways that you can experience her. I wanted to read this quote from Jung on page 14. He said, the place of magic, transformation and rebirth together with the underworld in its inhabitants are presided over by the mother. So the mother is the one that oversees all of the underworld happenings. On the negative side, the mother archetype may connote anything secret, hidden, dark, the abyss, the world of the dead, anything that devours, seduces, poisons, that is terrifying and inescapable, like something such as fate. Something that she mentioned too is this moral ambiguity of the mother. And we've kind of talked about that a little bit. And I think it's really important that the way that the mother archetype can manifest in your life is how you relate to that part to, of the psyche. So if your mother was completely unconscious of this mother archetype, there's a high chance that there's the shadow sides of the mother, the terrible mother can play out unconsciously in your relationship. And if you are not conscious in relating to these different sides of the mother, that can affect the way that you emanate this energy unconsciously. And so it's really important for you to be aware of how this energy plays out in your life. And you can, you can get an understanding of that by reading these fairy tales and seeing how these fairy tales sit with you. If you can see yourself in different characters as opposed to others. And so I'll give you some like tips and tricks for how to, how to engage with this material. For some people, engaging with the instinctual realm, which is the realm of the mother, can be incredibly dangerous. So like going into the realm of like body and sensation, it's like, no, absolutely not, right? It is dangerous. And for some people, it's like, and I am here and I have settled and everything is okay. Most people I'd say in modern culture are just terrified to be in this vessel that is body 
And I think that, that that's a very large reflection to see how the mother archetype has played out throughout humanity over the past couple thousand years, actually. But again, we can see how this archetype is experienced in us based on how we experience these stories, how we experience specific characters in movies, um, things like that. And something that I really love about archetypes, it's the eternal experienced in the unique. You can see the eternal patterns experienced in your unique personal life. Somebody might have, especially in this group, we can see probably different shades of the mother archetype. Some people will have an experience of like the good and the positive mother and other people will not. And, you know, a lot of my work and somatic work in particular is actually trying to evoke and constellate an experience of the positive mother, the mother that is consistent, the mother that can contain and hold and kind of put the guardrails on chaos and say, it is okay, we can be with this. Because a lot of people actually had no guard, guardrails, no containment, no mirroring, no support in that that's most people's experience from what, from what I've seen in my work. So she said that an act of creativity can help free the instinctual bonds to the mother. And so there is this motif that is really interesting. I mean, you see it in a lot of hero motifs, the hero conquering the dragon. And we talked a little bit about this in the wounded woman motif, where that's the image of the dragon as like the complete, like primitive instinctual energy of the unconscious. It's completely undifferentiated instinct. That's really dangerous energy. And so sometimes it takes an act of creativity to creatively engage with that really instinctual energy so that we can differentiate ourselves from it. Otherwise, we're usually unconsciously possessed by it. If you have images of snakes, dragons, lizards, things like that, there might be this connection to that deep instinctual mother energy. So just keep that in mind because you can watch your dreams as we, as we work through this content. Another way that we can see this connection to the, like, this undifferentiated instinctual mother is our attachment to unconsciousness. If the mother is the unconscious, the like undifferentiated unconscious, like there's unconscious material that we're like getting to know, but then there's like compulsive habitual patterns that run our lives. And if we become coming from a background of being addicted to exercise and having an exercise addiction and, you know, a lot of eating disorder patterns, that is a very prime example of an attachment to an unconscious compulsion or being possessed by the unconscious mother. It's like that, that is it, the undifferentiated unconscious. It's a great example. I wanted to talk about um, a small quote on page 11 or just a part of the text in the third paragraph Okay, um, where it says, uh, they're talking about, I think, the psyche and the unconscious maybe and they say it is different in that it does not speak in abstractions it speaks to us in images and symbols mm -hmm. um which confused me i sat with that for a long time because i know i know that images are concrete it's something that you can can like look at visually mm -hmm. um like when you ground a metaphor you ground it in an image right mm -hmm. um but i'm confused by the idea of that the psyche does not speak in abstractions because we're using the symbols and the images sort of as allegories, right? Or as like a story to put yourself in sort of. So yeah, I just felt very conflicted and confused by this. So that's kind of the difference between definitely the way that modern culture uses archetypes. They, they kind of have become a little bit like abstractions from what I understand. But the thing that Jung was very adamant about is that these are living images and symbols. Like there is a reality to the psyche. It is real and that it's showing up over time, that it's not just this thing that was made up 
out of nowhere. Like there's a living reality. Like when you have a dream about a serpent, that serpent is real. It's not just this abstract image of it's like, if you can engage with this content in that way, it pulls it down out of abstraction into lived experience. And that's how I would encourage you to engage with this material, connecting to the felt sense that, I mean, Jung always said that psyche and body are not separate. And oftentimes we do separate them. And this psychic content becomes abstractions because they're just mental, mental images, but images live in the body. They aren't just floating around in the psychic space. There's a reality to them because they affect us. And that's, that's really what that means. Does that make sense? Yeah. It made me think about, I haven't read too much of Young, mostly quotes or people talking about him. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but I've read that he says like not to try to make too much meaning of the image, which feels confusing. And I I think you probably have a lot to say on that. Maybe you could elaborate. Yeah. So oftentimes we're so quick to jump to meaning because I think meaning frees us from having to grapple with what it is that's happening in our experience that we actually don't know what it is. But from my experience in working with particular images and working with the psyche, the meaning is inherent in the image itself. What's meaningful for you might not be meaningful for somebody else. But if Mm. you stumble across something that does evoke this felt sense, you can tell that you're in that archetypal realm because you're being, you can feel that energetic pull. And if you can learn to create psychological faith, and that means faith that (laughs) there is a reality of the psyche. And when you continue to work with it, you see how it kind of shows up and manifests. And if you work with your dreams, you can continue to have faith that there's like an interaction or an engagement there, but the meaning is inherent in the image. We don't have to let as, as my fiance says, we don't have to pin the butterfly to the wall to study the butterfly and, and sense the beauty in the butterfly itself. Mm. We can watch it fly around and see what's happening in us. And that's just as meaningful. Does that, it's just a completely different way of orienting. Does that make sense? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's, I like that, that image um, that you, you said that your fiance gave of like, don't pin it to, to the wall or whatever. Yeah. And, and just, and it's, we do that. We're like humans. We're, we're the humans that are trying to explore the mysterious unknown. And when we get into the realm of mystery, we, we like impulsively want to do all of these things to try to like pin it down and like fit into our personal framework. Mm. And that's really not what this work is about. It's about us taking our personal experiences and engaging with these stories and like widening our consciousness that we're not just this like little thing living in this little life that there's actually so much more happening around us and with us just noticing the impulse to pin it down we want to do that all the time but i think that 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 is a aid in escaping uncomfortable confrontations with that which you do not know when we're developing that imaginal ego or that symbolic ego that like part of your sense of self that can like go into this realm of images and symbols we want to create enough capacity to restrain ourselves from that's what that is and that's what that means and this is this and that's that because it starts to stagnate things a little bit. So interesting because it seems so counterintuitive to, I guess, how we're conditioned um, when, when thinking about like an image or like to interpret something, you know, but yeah. 100%. And it's really interesting in my somatic experiencing training, the gestalt of the way that we work with the body, the image channel is one of those channels. And we would think that image is just visual but like actually image is not, it's, it's images connected to the senses, like all five senses. So we can experience image through various different ways, not just seeing. And so we can think of like, you know, we've heard of maybe different levels 
like of intuition that some people are like clairvoyant and some people are, you know, these, these different voyancies, <laughs> um, they can see, they can hear, they can sense. So that's how you can kind of like work with images in that way. So in symbols. So really great questions. Hey, um, so is it really more of a way of just letting these images just sit in your body and trying to feel how they feel like inside and not really trying, like you said, not trying to place a meaning, a meaning on them mm -hmm. and seeing how it resonates within, within your body and within all your five senses and stuff like that. Is that what you're, what you're saying? Yes, we can, we can definitely engage. It's probably feels foreign for a lot of people to do that. Right. But that would be my invitation. And this is a really good maybe introduction to, okay, I did this in the last workshop. So if, if you guys imagine that you are walking into a house, okay? So you're walking into this house. Imagine the house that you're walking into, okay? You just feel yourself, see yourself walking into a house. And then you're in the foyer of the house, whatever that looks like. And around the corner, this mother shows up. Who is it that you see walking around the corner there? Maybe write that down. Note that image of the mother that you see. Maybe it's your personal mother. Maybe it's an aunt. Maybe it's some old woman that you have no idea who she is. Maybe it's some like really nasty lady. I don't know. But what you can do with that is then you can check in. What was that like for you to see that woman? Did that make your heart swell? Did that make your stomach drop? Did you feel tension all over your body? What was it like for you to see that woman? And coming back to Milena's question there, if there's not a living reality to the psyche, whatever you just saw and experienced, Try to explain what that was. What is that? Where did that come from? Like, where do those images come from? Right? That, that is the autonomous nature of psyche working. And that's what we want to tap into when we're working with these particular stories is we want to, at least as much as we can, allow space for that autonomous nature of psyche to move. So when we're reading these stories, we can like, oh, like put yourself in the, the position of the main character of the story and then put yourself in the position of the mother in the story and read it both ways and see how your felt sense experience changes based on the different ways that you engage with that. But that is a big part of depth psychology and, and Jung in particular recognized that this, the psyche has an autonomous nature to it, that these images have a living reality. And if you turn towards it, there's going to be an engagement there. Yeah, I've talked about this in the past with you and with some folks in this group, I think a little bit, but like, there's a pretty, there's like, you know, two or three page section in the mother archetype chapter, where they talked a lot about like, fairy tales kind of stemming from Christianity and that kind of thing and mm -hmm. um you know I just kind of I'll be honest with you like I kind of glossed through that and skimmed through that page and I was wondering if you could kind of like summarize that and maybe put it in a little bit more of like a agnostic perspective maybe or I, I don't really know what I'm asking I'm not necessarily asking you to do my homework for me but <laughs> um well I think that it's really important to recognize that no matter what spiritual perspective we identify with at all, we are nested within a culture that is influenced by this Christian symbolism. Like it's steeped in it. Like our whole culture is like fueled off this very patriarchal God image. And actually, Sarah, I think that you, you might appreciate this. If you don't resonate with that Christian God image, a lot of 
I'm taking a, a class right now, actually, it's called the religious function of the psyche. And something that's really important in Jung's work is he recognized that there is a lot of value in Christian symbolism, but the way that it's played out is often unconscious sometimes. And so he went about his study of religion by avoiding the metaphysical kind of presuppositions. He's, he's not saying, is God real? He's not saying that. Where does God come from? Where do these images come from? He's saying, as a scientist, as a psychologist, looking at these patients coming into my office, this is what I'm seeing. And these are the patterns that are taking place. And what he's saying is this Christian God image has this image of this Trinity of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, actually, I think that there's, he called it the unholy Trinity. There's some missing factors here, which is the body, the feminine and evil. And those are the parts of the modern Western Christian worldview that are put into the shadow and not processed. And really, it's not neglecting that we live housed within this Christian worldview, but bringing up and realizing that like, okay, if we do live within this worldview, they're going to be in these stories might be influenced by the culture we can't escape out of the culture that we live in, no matter how much we want to. Um, but we can look at the shadows of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way of kind of reflecting on that. And you're right, like whether you, I don't know, whether you believe the sky is blue or not, like the reality is, is that a blue sky is part of our, what you see every day, right? So like that kind of Christian uh, symbolism for sure. And as you were saying that, and I remember reflecting on you talking a lot about patterns and it's like, like that's obviously a pattern that I have in that I don't know if that's what you mean by patterns but that like pushback whenever that kind of stuff comes up in a lot of the work that we do I do whatever um you know I have like that same reaction all the time too which is uh interesting and something that I can certainly reflect on more I think yeah and just opening to the fact that it doesn't have to look like the fact that we're in this worldview. Yes, we want to like acknowledge that, but you don't have to identify with any particular religion to exist in this space, right? But we're talking about the patterns of spirit and matter, that psyche and body. That's what we're talking about. And so spirituality is kind of psychology in my opinion and if we're looking at the reality of psyche of this kind of spiritual content these images these stories that is spiritual content we can trace those patterns and it doesn't have to it doesn't have to necessarily go in line with these traditional worldviews but we have to realize that they they probably are a little bit influenced and also young himself despite you know being a huge advocate for the feminine in psychology and showing the gaps in religion. I mean, he had his own shadow stuff too. So we can just be open and flexible in the way we play with that. And like another thing that Jung was really adamant about is like, there's a lot of Eastern patterns, um, like the yin and the yang and these different the Tao and, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism, like those are amazing and they hold a lot of wisdom, but he did warn and advise the Westerner to be careful when jumping to the East while neglecting your Western religious shadows. Like you can't just go East and acknowledge the fact that like you were raised in the West and there's no like acknowledgement of the feminine, of the body, of evil of all that like you can't escape your culture by going to another one you have to acknowledge the shadows that you are born within and I think that that's really important that we all if you were raised within this western worldview to acknowledge that we can explore these things and we can ask questions and we can definitely be interested and pulled into these different ways but we have to acknowledge the shadows 
hopefully that that helps kind of like bring some of that to light. And and the big thing about working with the mother in particular is like the mother is pretty neglected and we have the divine mother and then she was like put into the she was like ascended what like the ascension of Mary whatever she's not even on the ground so now we're just left here on the ground with all of our messy feminine shit where the Mary gets ascended into spirit realm so we really want to be cognizant of like okay so when we bump into that mother of darkness of blackness of the underworld of the dirt of the matter of the chaos if we if we don't have the capacity to be with that that also might be partially our patriarchal worldview it's more comfortable for us to be in spirit than it is to be in matter that is just part part of our worldview so really great musings and questions, Sarah, because I think that that's actually really, really important. You said something that like sparked things that I've kind of seen around me recently about like masculine and feminine, feminine, where you talked, you said uh, spirit and matter as like psyche and body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of put me into two different trains of thought, which was one in the book, I think on page 14 and 15, the author talks about um, the mother being like a content of the unconscious and also a symbol for like the whole collective unconscious and also sort of how the mother like or the feminine represents both like the body and the psyche right Mm -hmm. um which is like a super paradoxical kind of confusing concept because it's also like there's also other ways to look at it which is that the man is like or masculine is like spirit and the woman is the body and I feel like we've been conditioned to kind of think the opposite at least when I talk to people about like feminine masculine archetypes they're like oh men are so like they're about the body and being grounded and and the women are like up in the air and like you know and it's also playing off of like some really toxic like gender roles and and things that we think about people in general but yeah yeah so I think that this is partially our patriarchal worldview. I hate to put everything back onto patriarchy, but like it's pretty toxic at this point. So, but like this matriarchal worldview where, you know, like the mother and the goddess was at the center of a lot of things. There's a really, really interesting film. If you guys have any background in Christianity, um, there's a, there's a Netflix, I don't know, no, it's Amazon. It was a Netflix or Amazon series called the red tent. And this was a story about Jacob's daughter, Dina, I think Jacob, Jacob's daughter, Dina told from her perspective, which is really interesting because a lot of these biblical stories are told from the masculine perspective. And this is kind of like a turn it, turn it on its head. And it's like, um, told from this feminine perspective. And actually in this, in this red tent story, there was this red tent where all of the women in the community would gather in this red tent when it was time for menstruation or childbearing or something like that. And they had all of these, these goddess statues in that tent. And that was very much like not okay outside of the tent like they weren't allowed to tell anybody that the goddess statues were in there because that was against this kind of patriarchal god image like that would be very very not okay and so it's a really interesting story about just seeing through the eyes of the feminine in a very ancient time because this has been going on for so long but these matriarchal cultures that were before patriarchy way, way back, BC, like way, way, thousands and thousands of years BC, it was like the goddess was at the center of everything. There's also another really great book if you're into mythology. One of the most comprehensive books on matriarchal cultures and goddess images, it's called The Myth of the Goddess, and it's by Baron and Cashford. It's called the myth of the goddess evolution of an image. Um, but if you're interested in, you know, those ancient historical cultures, this is a really good book. But with that being said, the goddess was at the center 
this means psychologically consciousness and that seed of consciousness comes out of the darkness. And if you even look at the Bible at the beginning, it was just all darkness. That would be the goddess. And then there was light and then spirit came out of that. So this seed of consciousness, which we could call masculine, maybe, I don't know if I really want to be that pinning down on it, but this spiritual impulse comes out of the unconscious, which is feminine. And often I think the unconscious gets a really, really bad rap. Um, but I think it's because it's been so repressed and feared and not taken seriously. So I don't know if that helps answer your question, but yes, I think that the mother as the creative matrix, the womb of consciousness, that's a way that you could think about it or image that. And often there's another book called The Origins and Histories of Consciousness by Eric Neumann. Not an easy read, but there's a lot of myths in there about mother-son incest, <laughs> about these like heroes that, you know, are still like son lovers. So they're like still attached to the mother. They haven't like been able to separate themselves from the mother. And that's basically psychologically when we have this, this divine spiritual impulse of consciousness, but it's not differentiated yet from that ground of where everything comes from. So I think really ultimately what we can do is learn to relate to that ground, that psychological ground. <laughs> Again, yeah, like Jung warned about like taking the unconscious seriously. And I think that this is something in, in studying the unconscious that like, you know, shadow work, like pop psychology, shadow work has become, oh, I'm just going to like dive into the unconscious. And it's like, you probably shouldn't do that. You need a container to like help process because there, this is living material. There's a reality to this stuff. And we, we just want to do it carefully and slowly and titrate that because some people like dive in and they see something. It's like the Medusa, right? They see something that they don't want to see and they get paralyzed and they freeze and they're stuck in that energy experience with the death mother. It's like young told you not to do that. <laughs> I, I think it really is distorted culturally right now, but I also think that there's this resurgence of these conversations is really important because I think that even if we're bumbling our way through it, sugarcoating it. The fact that it's like coming up and we're stumbling through it just means something. It's trying to come to consciousness. I think we're still identified with the unconscious. So yeah. Hey again. Um, so I know you said that Young uh, warns people not to just go into it. And you said something about having that container and going about it slowly. Mm -hmm. uh, can you be a little more specific about that and how if because th this shadow work has been an interest of mine lately and mm -hmm. just wanting to know if you have a recommendation on how you would go about doing that um, well you're here so you're, you're creating a definitely a container for yourself but I think he always warned about like if you're going to be engaging with unconscious content like have a person that you have designated to make sure that you can kind of keep you grounded in reality because if you're working with these energies, and I think we see this in a lot of shadow work communities, you can get inflated with that energy. And then these, these leaders that are talking about that can speak as if they're gurus or they know what it's like. And it's like, actually, the more we do shadow work, the less we know. <laughs> um, but like the shadow is the parts of our, our experience that are unbearable to our sense of self. So I think we can make shadow work creative and I think that it doesn't have to be a particular way, but like it's going to bring up some of the most visceral, intolerable somatic experiences if you're really into the shadow. I think it's just really important to whether it's having 
a professional that like can can help you process that material but like I think that shadow is in the body I think the shadow is held in the the cells of our body and like when we're really getting into that deep intolerable split off affect it's so it's traumatic material too so just having somebody to anchor you if you're diving into that realm even if that's like just having a journal too I think that that's probably important yeah Susan reminds me of people taking psychedelics without a sitter or container definitely 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 and I think that like you would know when hopefully (laughs) you would know when you start to like push that boundary right between like what's coming up and I think trusting that it would be nice to have like a objective set of eyes here or have someone to have this conversation with. And that's really what I'm trying to do with this container in particular is like when I asked you guys about the image of that woman walking around the corner, that's like bringing something out of the unconscious, right? But there's a space to hold it in recognizing like, you don't have to go in and take that image any farther than what you just took it. Blow out our our ritualistic metaphorical candles and just like leave that there. That's kind of what I mean is like, make sure that you're not just what Susan said, like the metaphorical psychedelic. I'm just going to blow the doors off this bitch and like see what's in there because you just don't necessarily know what you're going to bump into. Thank you. I appreciate it. So am I right in assuming that the next few chapters will be like, we'll read a fairy tale and then kind of, okay. I didn't, didn't look ahead, um, but. Um, I didn't prepare. No. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I was just kind of like, ex- I was expecting a fairy tale, I think in the month, in the first chapter or something. I don't know what I was expecting. Um, you will I'm here be. for it, whatever it is, but I was just kind of wondering. Then we go into Snow White, I believe. Fairy tale of Snow White. Uh, a little different than the one we see in Disney. So that'll be interesting. Um, anytime you get into like some grim stuff, you'll be like, oh, like in Cinderella and the Grimms, like the stepsisters get their ankles cut off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that doesn't happen in the Disney movies. <laughs> yes, I think they they made us a little bit sensitive to the actual fairy tale fairy tale glamour kind of even there is some stuff that kind of scared the crap out of me when I was little (laughs) but I think that's my own mother complex um the thing that I could invite you guys to do is just pay attention to your dreams over this this workshop series pay attention to your dreams over the series of these calls because it was very interesting during the wounded woman, how so many people started to notice certain things come up, certain situations in their outer life, certain dreams come up. So just pay attention to the images in your dreams. Just pay attention to that. And if you've never written your dreams down before, here's your invitation to start. And if if you, you know, have a dream that feels like completely insignificant, but you're like, oh, Danielle said to write your dreams down, (laughs) write them down. And you can also, we can also bring those. I know that dreams are sacred things in the personal psyche. So I definitely don't want to um, pressure any of you guys to bring a dream, but if there's something that comes up that, you know, feels relevant and you want to share, just know that this is a contained space and we'll honor that, those images, and we'll use those for greater psyche. Are we not supposed to be trying to make meaning out of them? We'll just just let them for now. We'll just let them. What we can do is we can just allow those to, it's, it's psychic energy, right? So we'll allow those to infuse our space. Again, you don't have to share those, but just like the fairy tales are infusing our space with psychic energy and symbols and images, so can your personal experiences. And also you guys can start to reflect on like in your life, maybe where, where you have had confrontations with the positive mother and maybe where you've had confrontations with the negative mother. 
and you can start there at that that kind of dual polarity of the positive and negative mother that good nurturing supportive feminine energy whether that's hopefully during this call hopefully i'm not constellating the negative mother <laughs> um or maybe that's a mentor that you had along the way or maybe that was a lady in kindergarten that took your hand and like helped you get your stuff into a cubby and you remember that so much or maybe that's your grandmother or an aunt um, it doesn't necessarily have to be your mother but these personal experiences of the positive mother and then personal experiences of the negative mother the rejecting mother the absent mother the criticizing mother, the absent mother, the withholding mother, the shaming mother, the poisoning mother. Think about that. Um, I can think of so many teachers throughout my elementary school experience that were like really not positive mother energy. Like they, they terrified me deeply. So um, you can kind of like contemplate that for the next time. I hope you guys have an amazing evening and I'll talk to you guys soon. Excited to be back in container with you guys. So yay.